0: Hi, I'm Dan, I'm a photographer, father and husband and this is the Booze Break Podcast. This is the show for people like me who find themselves stuck in a loop of drinking more often and in more quantity than they'd like. You're welcome to follow me on my journey to change my relationship with booze and explore ways in which to live a more productive, healthy, fulfilling and alcohol-free lifestyle. Welcome to the Booze Break Podcast. Podcast is a diary of my journey, taking a break from alcohol, as well as looking into different ways to help sustain a break from the booze. We'll be going into the ups and downs as I circumnavigate my way through work, family life and social situations without the hooch. I'll be delving into the benefits of living booze free and tackling subjects such as uh, social pressure, health, identity and alcohol representation in the media. Just a quick warning, there's likely to be some choice language and adult themes peppered throughout this series, so if you're easily offended or have children within earshot, you've been forewarned. Full disclaimer up front, I'm not an expert in any of these fields. My opinions are purely based on my own experiences and a little research. I also want to make it clear that I do not judge anyone based on their relationship with alcohol. Do what you want, drink what you want. But if you're like me and want to change your relationship with booze, whether that be to stop completely, uh, take a break, or just cut down, you're welcome here. Hey guys, and welcome back to the Booze Break Podcast. I'm Dan, I hope you're all having an amazing week. I've got an incredible guest on today's show. John Davidson is a psychotherapist and host of Happiness Hacks, a podcast and online platform where John shares his helpful tips and information on how to incorporate more happiness into your life. In this episode, we talk about John's background with alcohol and mental health and why he decided to take a break from booze uh, a break that, which spans um, several years uh, as, as of the recording of this episode. John also shares some really helpful advice for anyone looking to take a break from alcohol, such as how to replace drinking as a coping strategy, how to stay motivated, and at what point his desire to drink completely disappeared. I've been receiving some great feedback about the show from you guys, and I really appreciate you taking the time to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. These really help the show to get noticed by the people over at Apple, so I'd love it if you could uh, pause the podcast and head over and leave me a rating and review. I'd like to read out a review from Sarah who says congratulations on the frank exploration of a topic that often gets swept under the carpet because it is a normal part of British culture. This podcast will challenge you to reflect on your drinking habits without judgment in a casual friendly space. Give it a listen. So thank you so much for that Sarah. I really appreciate you taking the time to write that. Um, Can't thank you enough. Okay. I'm going to cut the intro there because I'm super excited to get stuck into this interview with John. So let's get to it. So John, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being on the Booze Break podcast. How are you today?
1: I'm excellent. I'm really excited about this. It's a, it's a special day for me today. It is. Do you mind if I share Please. why w- why we chose today?
0: Absolutely. Please. So today
1: ahead. is, um, seven years exactly. Since the since the day that I decided to uh, sort out my drinking, so it's seven years. It's this, the journey that I'm going to talk about today started seven years ago. Let's put it that way. That's amazing.
0: What an achievement. I've, and and, it, and it's it's I had no idea um, that any of this was was a thing when when I first got in touch um, with you. It, it's 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 serendipity. That you're, um, you know, that you've you've come so far on this journey. Because when when I first got in contact with you, it was it was literally just coming um, at, at this from a psychotherapist point of view, not someone who has actually been through the stuff that we're talking about. So really excited for that, and and, and congratulations, mate.
1: How's it been? It's been uh, it's been interesting. It's been challenging. It's been worth it. Uh, it's it's been. Um, one of the most difficult and one of the most rewarding things that I've ever done in my entire life. Uh, well I'd love
0: to um, go into that in a little bit more detail, but first I would love to know a little bit about you sans alcohol. So, so can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Yeah, sure. So um my name's John Davidson. I'm a psychotherapist. Um I uh, run my own private practice in 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 Manchester and um in Manchester, in the UK. And also I'm the host of a podcast called Happiness Hacks which teaches people uh, little tips and tricks on how to live a happier life I love it I love it and, and I've been um,
0: uh, interested and in and somewhat involved in happiness hacks for for a while now you, even if it's just been sort of on, on the fences and uh, and enjoying the content that you've um, that you're bringing out you've got a great podcast uh, I really love um, tuning in to the to the lives uh, we we uh, 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 put them up onto the telly, uh, you know, rather than just looking on your phone or whatever. So we stream it up to the telly and it's usually around tea time. So we love it. It's great. It's in, and it's so, if anyone gets a chance to to check this out afterwards, and, and I will leave lots of links to to everything that, that you do uh, in the show notes, but I highly recommend checking it out because it's a lovely bit of positivity, um, you know, I, I, in the evenings, which I, which I really enjoy. How did um, Happiness Hacks come about for you? Because have, have you always been a psychotherapist?
1: No, well, um, no, I've, I, becoming a psychotherapist was kind of happens around about the same time that I decided to give up drinking. It was almost like kind of part of the same thing. It was almost like part of my, um, resurrection, if you like, <laughs> which is it was around about the time that when I first gave up drinking in the, in the two years after I first gave up drinking, I was kind of, um, trying to, to, to scrambling around to try to reinvent myself and try to figure out what I wanted my life to be about next. You know, it seems like when, I mean, as people who are listening will know, we, we, when you remove alcohol from your life, it leaves a massive hole in your life Absolutely. and suddenly it's like, oh my God, what am I going to do to fill this? And I think that's one of the the, 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 the secrets of success actually is that you must fill it with something else. Okay. That's like, the first
0: hot you, tip then.
1: <laughs> yeah. You can't, you've got to replace it with something else. Like if, if you're going to give up one coping strategy, you've got to replace it with another coping strategy. It's not enough to just white knuckle it and go, I'm just not going to try to go through my life without any coping strategies whatsoever, right? So you have to find other ways of coping and you've got to explore. And as part of my trying to explore what that would look like for me, like if I'm not going to just use alcohol to solve all of my problems, how else might I solve my problems? And how else might I find um, satisfaction and happiness and, you know, kind of contentment in my life? And one of the things I found was volunteering. And I I, I saw an opportunity to volunteer as a mental health support worker for a charity, and it was just on the phone, you know, helping people out on the phone. And okay. I, I had no training at this stage apart from the training that they gave me, um, but I loved it. I felt I inst- my background is I used to be I used to be a marketing guy, so I used to yeah. run my own marketing agency, and this was brand new for me. I'd never done anything like this before, but I just loved it so much. And I and I met somebody on that course who um was the supervisor and the, the main trainer on a, on a psychotherapy masters degree at derby university and um she was like you could do this and i had no idea that that was even a, a you know a, a possibility for me i was like why would they let me someone like me onto something like that you know and she was like no no you should definitely interview for it i think you might get in and uh, i interviewed for it and she, and i got in Amazing. So that was a couple. That was that was probably about five years ago now. So right, so five years ago, I I I, tra- I retrained to be a, a psychotherapist, and that's what I've been doing full time ever since.
0: Love it. I'm a Derby Uni boy as well, so I, I feel you. That's, uh, that's a. Good, <laughs> it's a good uni. Yeah, it's I love, a really good uni. I love Derby. Uni. I miss it. Something that I thought I was being really clever by thinking about this question. Um. Because happiness is, it's almost like, what is art? You know, that kind of, mm-hmm. that, that kind of
1: that big question. What does happiness mean to you? Nice feelings. Nice feelings, yeah. It's just, happiness is basically a catch-all term for feeling good. That's what people mean. Th- there's probably 10 different emotions that, that when people experience them, they would say that they are happy whilst they're experiencing that emotion. So if people fe- are feeling excited, they will often say, You know, like describe that as I had a, you know, I felt really happy today because I was excited. You know, I felt really happy today because I was inspired. You know, I felt really happy today because I felt connected or I felt present or I felt um, uh, maybe um, joyous. You know, Mm. these there's lots of emotions that actually happiness is more like just feeling nice. So when people say I want to be happy, what they really mean is I just want to feel nice. Um the good news is that there's there's lots of different ways that you can feel nice you know it isn't like uh, you have to you have to sweep everything else out of the way to pursue happiness. That's the only emotion that matters. Mm-hmm. You know, so it can it can count as lots of different things.
0: Uh, I, I guess that that um, that's why it's happiness hacks rather than happiness hack. There's lots of ways of of being happy, and 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 lots of sc- and a scale of that, I imagine as
1: well. There's no one size fits all approach because we're all different, and mm-hmm. we all have different needs and different preferences and different values and different you know kind of uh styles and 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 characteristics and there isn't just one way to be happy so the the best way what I've done in my career is I've tried to find out as many of these happiness hacks as I possibly can mm-hmm. and then I share them all with people via my um via my podcast and the idea is try this on if it works for you great use it if it doesn't work for you dismiss it move on to the next one because it might be the next one or the one after that or the one after that that just really resonates with you it it might be that one that's the solution to your to your problem
0: are you guilty of ever searching for or or you know trying to gain a, like a sense of happiness that actually isn't um true to you and and that's a really um weird way yeah. of, of asking that question, but uh, you know, like, um, for instance, I, I listened, I, I watched one of your Facebook lives the other day and you were talking about, um, the fact that this kind of work-life balance, this kind of preconceived idea that if you have a, this specific type of work-life balance that will make you happy, but actually, actually that's different for everybody, for, for different, for different people. Have you, have you sort of come across, um, you know, other, yeah. other preconceived <clears throat> ideas of what happiness means and then gone, actually that doesn't make me happy at all.
1: Absolutely. it's literally the biggest problem in the, in the world right now in terms of what's inhibiting people's natural, um, and innate happiness is that, so we've been taught, we've been taught that there is, you know, there's a route to happiness and it's things like, you know, uh, the happy family, you know, having the kids, getting the house, the career, money, comfort, holidays. You know, Lamborghinis, all absolutely. this kind of stuff. It's, it's like have all the things. It's, it's what I think of as being kind of, um, displays of success, these kind of status symbols. So we, we we've been convinced that it's about having a comfortable life and having equal opportunities and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And that really it's the conditions of your external life that determine how happy you are. And that is absolute nonsense because there are rich people that are absolutely miserable. And there are poor people that are blissfully happy. For sure. And it has nothing to do with the conditions of your life. It has absolutely nothing to do with the conditions of your life. And the, the worst thing of all is, as we go through our life, we pick up what's called conditions of worth, which are basically these ideas of like, in order to be valuable, in order to be a, you know, a, a good enough human being, I have to meet certain conditions. So it tends to be what our parents thought mattered. Right. So if our parents thought academic success was important, we, we, you know, we learned that in order to be worthy of love, we have to do well at school. And then that we take that condition of worth into our adult life. And then we're trying to strive for, you know, to be successful. And we're very goal oriented and very driven. And we we think that happiness is like a reward for meeting a certain kind of condition, Mm -hmm. for getting it right. Yes. You know, and conditions of worth all they just need to go in the bin you need to identify your conditions of worth and you need to kill them with fire they are absolutely toxic because it 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 sets you up for this little game where you think i will be happy when yes i will be happy when you know i uh, make more money i will be happy when i start a family i will be happy when i get the new car i will be what one of, a client that i had early in my career told me that um she was looking forward to getting new carpets. Mm. She thought, I'll be happy when I get my new carpets, right? So happiness is new carpet. I mean, new carpets are nice, but yeah. And you know, it would be pretty miserable life if you didn't have carpet, I imagine. <laughs> uh, well, who knows? I've never tried it. <laughs> I mean, here's a controversial one, especially for the people who are listening. But, you know, I will be happy when I give up drinking.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That's an example of placing a condition on your happiness and saying, there's something needs to happen before I can be happy. The truth is you can be happy now. You can be happy right now. And actually the best way to give up drinking is to be happy first, Oh, because then you don't need the alcohol so much, right? What do you need the alcohol for if you're already happy? Seeing that you don't, to, you don't need to first give up the alcohol. You don't need to first solve the problem before you can experience the happiness. Yes, It's almost like happiness helps us to quit. The booze. Mm. I guess if you're already
0: fulfilled then then what's the need for any other stimulus uh, in that respect, you know? If if it's especially if you're using alcohol in that kind of way where you're, you know, it's 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 not purely just a social thing, it's just a way of getting through the day and if you've had a bad day, booze is going to make you happier.
1: I think that's a really dangerous way of using alcohol. No, you're you're tapping into something that's really important here, actually. This is critical, I think, is that the Buddhists, if you listen to the Buddhists, uh, uh, when they talk about happiness, what their definition of happiness is, they say that in the West, we we confuse happiness with uh, the end of suffering. Sure. So we think, what we think of as happy is actually that we were previously suffering and now we are no longer suffering. And that's not the same as happiness, right? The absence of negative is not the same as the presence of a positive. That's just not suffering. So a lot of people, when they think that booze actually makes them happier, actually all it does really is it stops them from suffering. That's mm-hmm. all it does. It's, you know, alcohol, like all drugs, they are emotional painkillers. Yes. That's all it is. I, You know, for whatever reason you think... You're using alcohol in your life. It always, always, always comes down to trying to kill some form of emotional pain. Some kind of it's an it's an avoidance strategy, mm-hmm. really. Alcohol. It's an escape. It's a way of escaping something that we don't like. It's the way of escaping an experience that we don't like. For sure. And it can be it can be like the the the, the pain of being alone with ourselves, right? Mm. You know, and just how uncomfortable it feels to just be in our own presence right when when all the when the busyness of the day is over and we just have to kind of ugh, like just mm. be with ourselves, you know yeah. so it's a way of getting away from that it can it you know obviously it can help with things like social anxieties and avoiding uh the kind of stress that we feel at the end of a busy day and it's the, the reason i gave up alcohol the number one reason i gave up alcohol is because i realized that when i use alcohol to solve all of these problems i don't learn other ways of solving these problems sure so it's almost like there's no growth as long as you use alcohol because you can just kind of almost like um delegate the responsibility to alcohol right Mm -hmm. it's like i well i could learn how to have natural self-confidence in social situations or i could just use alcohol that's much quicker and you know yeah i I can have it straight away
0: and and also um surely all you're doing is just pushing those issues to one side and, and they're going to come back, you know, they just pile up, uh, to, uh, you know, and and then you can't drink all the time, surely. And, th- and that's when you yeah. have a serious issue. And I think it's, you know, it's pretty well documented that um, alcohol's effects the next day when you're suffering and you, you go through withdrawal um, is, you know, you, you do get anxiety and 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 depression mm-hmm. and all these things come back but your mind's so foggy that you can't deal with that stuff as easily mm-hmm. as, as, as if you could if you had a completely clear mind you're on your game you're 100 percent.
1: well there's another angle on that as well which is actually that is sometimes like i remember what i used to drink i used to go out and get hammered on a friday night and then i used to have horrific like two-day hangovers that would last like saturday and sunday
2: mm-hmm.
1: but e- even the hangover had a kind of sed- sedative effect where i'd be perfectly happy to lie on the couch and watch top gear repeats all day long yes because i felt so sick so like it was almost like i was happy to just be on the couch doing nothing whereas the weekends when i was sober i'd go out of my mind if i was on the couch <laughs> doing nothing you know so it's even the hangover is useful often as a way of you know making yourself a little bit more comfortable i suppose sometimes it's i i often think that um people don't have a drinking problem they have a reality problem Right. It's like difficult to, for whatever reason, reality has become difficult to tolerate, but you know, an, an alcohol just gives you a bit of a barrier, really. It just gives you a bit of a, uh, a bit of distance. Mm.
0: And I think from um, that stuff. To, to, to some extent, if you've drink if you drank for a long enough time and if it's become such a big part of your life, um, You've, you've not and this is i think this is why i think it's so difficult for people to stop apart from the fact that they're, they're probably addicted on some level to, to alcohol's effects both in their mind and physically um they haven't really experienced reality yes every yeah. single day for such a long period of time and that's why everything feels weird um you know that, that's why they don't know what to do is like, this is this is why when i the first week of of not drinking the first two weeks I was doing a similar routine to how I would normally, um, you know, sort of spend my day and my evenings, um, but without alcohol. And I was like, this is shit. This is so boring. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. I, I, I'm not enjoying any of the things that I used to do when I drank, which was yeah. watch a binge, some show, which I wasn't really paying attention to. Um, you know, watch YouTube videos on stuff that really all I was doing with hindsight, I think, was just giving my, myself an excuse to drink more. Um, and, and, and it was just kind of, it was, it was, it was a thing, but, um, yeah, when you've actually all all of a sudden got that clarity of mind and you're left
1: alone with it, that's quite a new experience. Yeah. It's really uncomfortable. And it's almost like, um, you know, when you come out of the kind of, um, the bubble of, you know, of alcohol and you kind of, you, you emerge into reality, um, you suddenly realize just how bad things have got whilst you've been in there, right? That's the problem. <laughs> it's because your life goes to shit whilst you're drinking. It's, yeah. it's, it's like you're not tending to your life. It's, it's almost like imagine somebody who spends all, they've got a garden. They're trying to plant a garden and they're trying to put seeds down, right? So they want to, they want some beautiful flowers to grow, but they're worried about the crows and they think if the crows come into their garden, then they're going to take all the seeds and they're not going to end up with any flowers. People who use alcohol, it's almost like we're spending 100% of our time trying to get rid of the the birds. Mm -hmm. We're shooing away the birds all the time. And we're like, everything that we do is like, how do I get rid of these bad things? How do I get rid of these bad things? How do I get rid of these bad things? And even if we could be successful and finally get away from all of the birds, what's happening to our garden in the meantime? Yes, that's a
0: really, really cool way of putting it. I love that. <laughs> right?
1: You suddenly turn around and you go, right, I got rid of the last bird and you turn around and you go, oh, I, I forgot to, I forgot to look after my garden. Like my garden is basically, it's just soil. Like there's nothing here. <laughs> right? So when, when we, when we stop scaring the birds away, we turn to face our garden, like our life, and we're like, oh God, this is awful. And then we've got some work to do. Right. But the good news is that's the best distraction in the, in the, in the first kind of, you know, month or two of not drinking, um, through almost like you know, getting busy with the gardening. Mm. is the best thing that you can do. It's almost like, oh God, look at the state of my life. How did it get like this? It's like, right, I need to get into improving this. I need to, I need to kind of work on the parts of my life I've been neglecting. That's the opportunity.
0: The beautiful thing about once you get to a certain stage of, of not drinking, um, and I'm sure you'll be able to um, to weigh in on this because you've you've got years of experience. Um, all of a sudden you've got this amazing amount of energy and motivation, um, to do stuff like that. All of a sudden you've, you've got drive, you've got ambition and you can do these things. And, um, it, it's, it's become a re- revelation for me. The, the fact that not only am I thinking about just uh, everything, my life, mm-hmm. uh, where I want to be, what I want to do, my relationships, my health. Um, but I actually have the, the physical energy and the sort of get up and go to actually do something about
1: it. Um, and it's which can be a which can be a good thing or a bad thing right because there's some people are drinking to try to calm all of that down you know Mm -hmm. that there's almost like there's a lot of anxious kind of almost like manic energy inside of them and it's too much right it's like they don't know what to do with it they don't know how to challenge that and you know alcohol is a sedative for some people it calms them down Mm -hmm. so when you take the alcohol away it's like all that stuff that feeling comes back and it's like what do i do with all of this what do i do with all of this the, the other thing to say as well is that not everybody will have that experience when they give up drinking for, cause for some people, um, they feel quite depressed and they feel quite low and they, they feel like, uh, this is how I felt certainly like a massive sense of loss. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Like all the things I'm not, it's almost like I focused on all the things I could no longer do. Yes. Oh, I'll never do this again. I'll never have that experience again, you know?
0: I just want to take a quick break to let you guys know about my Patreon. So if you're liking the content that you're listening to uh, on the Booze Break podcast, you can actually show your support by going over to the Booze Break website, which is boozebreakpodcast.com. Right at the top there, there's a little button that says donate. You can click on there and it goes straight to my Patreon page. This is where you can actually pledge a sum per month to help support the the show and me first of all that's really generous and, and thank you but also you do get um, some benefits to that as well different tiers that you can um, go to there's actually this legend warrior and godlike behemoth with the legend tier which is just £7.50 a month uh, you can actually get access to new episodes before they get released on their official release dates and uh, you can cancel this at any point of course you're not tied into anything necessarily with the uh, warrior tier, which is £15 a month, you get early access to the episodes, you get a, a coveted booze break sticker and access to the private Facebook group for people who are on a booze break and, and want to join a community and help support each other and um, with, you know, with positivity and hints and tips. And then you've got godlike behemoth, which is £30 a month. If you donate that, you're an absolute star and, and I can't thank you enough. With this, you get early access to episodes, you get a shout out on one of my podcasts, uh, you get the Booze Break sticker, you get access to the private Facebook group, and you also get an epic Booze Break t-shirt as well. So any support that you guys could give would mean a huge amount to me. Uh, notoriously, podcasts don't don't earn a great deal. So any bit that you can give would would make a huge difference and it just keeps me motivated and, and able to be producing content and taking the time out to do research and, and put these episodes out. So I uh, thank you. Back to the episode.
1: It's probably worth talking about how I got started actually, but we'll, I'll come around to that. I'll come round to that in a minute. Um, see, that somebody said something to me really early on and it really helped me. I was moaning mm-hmm. and whinging and complaining and feeling sorry for myself because I was like, oh, I can't go out for a drink. You know, I'll never be able to go to stag do again. Oh, woe is me. It's so awful. All the things I can't do. And somebody said to me, John, there's only one thing you can't do. Yes. Like everything else in the universe apart from drinking is still available to you. Yeah. And it was so important for me to hear that. It's like everything else is still available. You don't lose that much when you
0: stop drinking, but there's so much to gain you, there's lot there's lots of things that were there that have got better there's things that weren't there when you were drinking that all of all have all of a sudden become available um yeah. it's a great trade as far as i'm concerned
1: you will you will see the the truth of that and the benefit of that in time, yes, but I feel that what happens at the beginning is the things that you've been avoiding, suddenly you, you're confronted with. So generally, what, for some people, it's just they stop drinking and they think, oh my God, this is amazing. Well, I should have done this years ago. Oh, I feel so good, right? Yeah. And those people are what I call the the the, the lucky ones, right? <laughs> it's yes. like, you know, that's like, I didn't have that experience. Um, For other people, it's like the thing they've been running away from catches up with them, right? Sure, they stop numbing themselves, and suddenly, the you know, they find themselves face to face with the thing that they didn't want to confront. So, for some people, that's what happens, right? And they've kind of got a they've got to face that foe, if you like, and then mm-hmm. kind of deal with that problem. and And often, because we've been avoiding it for so long, often it's just got bigger and bigger and more scary. In the time that we've been avoiding, so some so it's, it takes for some people, it takes a massive amount of strength to stop drinking because what it isn't about giving up the booze this is the thing it isn't about giving up the drink although that is part of it you know like i miss like oh a glass of red wine oh yeah. that's what i used to go on about all the time oh god i love red wine i'm never gonna have red wine again in front of a fire and, or and, something like on a
0: winter's day you know we're <laughs> we, 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 we triggering everybody that's listening to this now? <laughs> yes i'm, I'm
1: there right. with you so I used to kind of, I used to worry about things like that, but the, the, the truth is it wasn't what I was giving up. It was, it was, it was what was waiting for me Yes. behind the alcohol. That was what was difficult. That's what, it's the things that I didn't want to confront, but confronting those things. um, Like I have changed so much since I gave up drinking because I've had an opportunity to. Yes, you know the uh, removing the alcohol, which is in kind of almost like the 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 inhibitor. It's like the thing that stops you from growing. It's like as soon as you take it away, it's uncomfortable. But then you you can you can kind of carry on your journey of of developing and self actualizing and becoming the, the you know the kind of like the best version of yourself. You know, mm. it's it's like the brakes are taken off in your life, and then you get to go back on that journey. And that growth journey isn't always a comfortable journey, but it's absolutely the most meaningful journey that you can ever go on.
0: love it. Can we um, just uh, take a step back to, um, you know, when you were drinking, what, what was, what was your relationship with, with, with drink at the time? Were you, I mean, I mean, it's, it's difficult to pigeonhole um, people into, and I don't want to, into specific categories, but you know, were you a heavy drinker, a daily drinker?
1: For me, it was, it was like, um, it was, I had, on reflection, I had a very negative relationship with myself. Sure. So I I would have described it as being um, like I had a really like I had a serious self esteem issue. So I, I recognize now that the term the technical term for what I was struggling with is called toxic shame, Ooh. which is this idea that like the person that I really am the real me is so um, unacceptable and so loathsome that I had to try to hide it from the world because the the the, the thing that I thought was that if people really knew. If they knew the real me, they would reject me. They they wouldn't they wouldn't want to know me. They'd get rid of me, right? So mm-hmm. I, I I used to try to kind of pretend to be the the kind of person that I thought people liked, you mm-hmm. know. So like f- massively confident, extremely extroverted, life and soul of the party, very sociable, always in the pub. You know, I, I used to, uh, when I w- ran my marketing agency, it was, um, our office was in Manchester city center and, and obviously there's plenty of opportunities in Manchester to go sure. drinking. So it was like work hard, play hard. I would just work all day and then eight o'clock at night, I'd quit work, go straight to a restaurant, start drinking, finish my meal, go straight to some cocktail bar, stay in there till two, some three, sometimes four o'clock in the morning, go home, four hours sleep back into the office. <laughs> and I would do this every day of the week. And I probably kept this up for about seven years. So it was probably about drinking pretty much daily for about seven years, yeah. I would say. But quite but intense it always drinking been-
0: then. Uh, so I, I, it, it, it sounds like it was intense social drinking as opposed to yeah. like not, um, would you, would you be the kind of person that would just get in and even if no one was around, just open a bottle of wine and just sit there and have it- a drink?
1: it definitely got like that towards the end. Sure. What ha- what happened in the end? You know that you know that a habit is turning into an addiction when you start hiding it. Yeah. That's the telltale sign. So when you stop going out drinking because you're worried that what people are going to think of you. <laughs> and that yeah. you know that you're start you're starting to get self-conscious and you, it's almost like that's the terrible thing, right? So I I was struggling with shame. So I didn't like myself very much. So I drank to try to disguise the person that I, you know, try to hide myself. And then eventually what happened was the shame infiltrated that as well. And yeah. I started to feel ashamed of how much drinking I was doing. Absolutely. So then I started drinking at home, staying at home and just getting pissed on my own. Right. And the idea of that was, well, you know, there's no risk of any, of feeling shame or exposing myself, you know, my shameful self. There's no risk of that if I just stay at home. But then I was drowning my because I was so depressed and miserable because I was just, isolating and lonely and just by myself all the time. And and I think when it got to the stage where I was drinking a lot at home, that's when I thought, I need to stop this. Was that the this trigger isn't good.
0: Was it, was, it was, there, was there a specific moment or anything that happened that you can think back on? Or was it just like a gradual acceptance of the fact that you need to stop?
1: I tried loads of times to stop. It's almost like there was a healthy part. Everybody who's listening to this, who is in the process of trying to give up drinking. The part of you that wants to give up drinking is the healthy part of you. Yes. And if there is the desire to give up drinking, that means that all is not lost. Because it means that there's the 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 real you, the authentic you, the happy you is still in there and is still trying to exert some kind of influence over, over you know, your behavior. So the healthy part of you is, is almost like starting to shout a bit louder and saying, you know, mm, you know, I don't think this is. The best thing for us. I think maybe we need to do something about this. And I had that voice in my head for a long time. So I never lost that. Um it was I like I tried, I gave up for like six months, and then I went back to drinking, and then I just hit it just twice as hard when I went back to it again. Oh, really? And then I think the first time I gave up for a month and then I went back to it. You know, then I thought I'll do three months and then I went back to it, and it was just like I'd never stopped. And then I did six months and I thought, okay, it's just like I've never stopped. And then I thought, right, let's try a year. And this time something was different because by the time I'd done a year, I was like, I don't want to stop because I feel like I've achieved something, you know, it's amazing. And I was like, let's see if I could do 18 months. I'll just, I I didn't plan to give up permanently. I was like, wow, I've done a year. That's amazing. I felt proud of my achievement. So I was like, right, I want to just, let's just see how much longer I can keep it going for. And then I did 18 months. And then I thought, oh God, I wonder if I could do two years. And then I did two years. And and something interesting happened when I passed the kind of two and a half year mark, which is I just stopped thinking about it. It's it's like I just forgot about alcohol. At some point I just forgot about alcohol. Um and I just lost all desire to have it. Lost all desire to have it in my life. You know, I just started thinking, what what's the what's the benefit? You know, why would you bring it back? Why would you bring it back?
0: I think, I think an extended break from alcohol, it, I think, again, I can, I can't necessarily speak from experience or this is the most extended extended break I've ever had from alcohol um, is, uh, and I think the hopes is it gives you some sort of clarity on the situation and, you know, gives you, you can step out, step out of and, and sort of look from above at what that situation was and go, okay, was, was that really worth it? Um, and, and, and like you say, you can come, come at it from more of a logical point of view of, what am I benefiting if if I you know go back to drinking, you know whatever and and I think a, a, for, for me as well, especially at this stage, one glass of wine doesn't interest me at all. Um, mm-hmm. A bottle interests me more. Yeah, um, and so I think that that's that. that this is a thing that um, it, it and this might change, of course, um, as as time goes on is the fact that, um, uh, that's not a very healthy way to look at alcohol. Um, but it's the only way that I would want to drink currently, um, which is why I'm not drinking essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, and I I hear people a lot in the communities that say, I just want to be the kind of person who has like one glass of wine. And I just sort of think, what's the
1: point? Well, the truth is if you're the kind of person that only needs one glass of wine, you probably won't be that interested in one glass of wine. No. (laughs) you know it's at that point where you get to the stage where you don't really see the the appeal of alcohol no. like i'm there i'm i'd say i'm there today so i don't say that i don't you know i wouldn't say that like i'm never say never right i don't say mm-hmm. that like oh i'm abstinent or or anything like that or teetotal or use any of these kind oh, yeah, of yeah. terms you know it's like if i went to a wedding and somebody was toasting and there was a glass of champagne i'd probably drink that glass of champagne yes just, just to go, I mean, obviously that, that hasn't happened yet, but I imagine that in the future, if that happened, I'd drink that glass of champagne and I'd go, I don't want another one of those. It tastes like vinegar. How gross was that? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> um, but I mean, this is seven years later, right? So after seven years, those associations in my brain are well and truly broken now. Yes. Um, so I could, if I wanted to probably have a relationship with alcohol, that's completely different. But why? Why introduce that into my life? Right? It feels like it's not going to add anything. No. At this stage, it doesn't feel like it's going to add anything. It feels like it could take something away. You know? It's like I don't need it. I can have fun without it. I've I've worked through my shame issues and I feel good about myself today. I've got natural confidence. You know? I'm. It's like I've got loads of. I've got a really rich, full, and like my garden is well and truly in bloom at this stage in my life. Good. And it feels like. Why would I do that to myself? It just seems unnecessary. I feel like alcohol is to, is trying to fill a gap, right? It's almost mm-hmm. like something's missing, and we use alcohol to fill it, or we use alcohol to numb the the discomfort, the dis ease, right? As they yes. say in in twelve steps, where they say, you know, it's the the, the uncom the, the uncomfortable feeling that I have. Um, it's like alcohol just kind of covers that up but the only but this that's there for a reason right so it's like when you get rid of alcohol then you can start problem solving you can say well why do I feel that way and what what do I need because it's definitely not alcohol no you know it's if you think about it if you if you think about this right so every time ta- every feeling that you have alerts you to a need this is a this is a happiness hack, okay, hack good, right? good. so every feeling that you have the only reason you have that feeling is it, it, it's alerting you to something you need that's the way it works so you know if you're tired what do you need sleep Sleep. Right. Okay. If you're hungry, what do you need? Food. Right. Okay. If you are um, thirsty, what do you need? Water. Right. Okay. So every feeling alerts you to a need that needs to be met, sure. right? We confuse this with alcohol. We go like, um, you know, let me put it, if you're angry, what do you need? This is a bit more of a difficult one, but what do you need when you're angry? Oh,
0: I don't know. Um, to vent?
1: Yes. Right. Yeah. You need, mm-hmm. you need to be heard. You need to be heard. There's 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 an injustice. There's something that feels unfair, and you need to be heard, outright. So you want to be heard. So if you just listen to an angry person, they will calm down. Sure. Because they just want to they just want to feel heard. They're frustrated that nobody's listening. So so it, if you're angry, it's because you feel that there's a, a, a wrong that needs to be righted, right? That's the need, right? But what do we do if we use alcohol? I feel angry, therefore I need what. It's like we go, we go straight to alcohol, right? Yeah. So it's like, I'm angry. So I need alcohol. I'm lonely. So I need alcohol. I'm sad. So I need alcohol. You know, I'm happy. So I need alcohol. It's like alcohol is, is never the need. No, Nobody needs alcohol. There is no innate human need for alcohol. No. So we have feelings and then we think we, we solve the problem with alcohol when that isn't even what that feeling is asking for. So it isn't, it isn't the answer to the question, right? It isn't the solution to the problem. So one of the things that we can do when we give up drinking is we can get curious about what our feelings are really trying to communicate to us, and we can figure out, well, what do I need when I'm sad? What hmm. do I need when I'm lonely? What do you need when you're lonely? Oh, company, I guess. <laughs> right, connection. Right, you just you feel you're feeling disconnected, and you want to get you want to connect. So you know it isn't alcohol right you don't numb the loneliness with alcohol you solve the problem that's what we don't do when we have alcohol yeah. as a substitute we we just numb everything with alcohol but we don't we're not we're not solving problems
0: i'm sure not a lot of people the vast majority of people don't go in to alcohol later on in life having never experienced it previously and, and thought this might solve an issue. But I think, I wonder whether it's just the, the sort of the conditioning of the fact that especially British people, you know, alcohol is such a big part of our society and, and social norms. And, um, you know, it, it, it builds up from a, from a point of like, you didn't, like, you know, no one enjoyed their first alcoholic drink unless it was like uh-huh. an alcohol pop or something. Like but even then, you probably didn't appreciate it that much. Uh-huh. Uh, and then you build up this relationship with alcohol, steadily but surely, because of peer pressure and all that kind of thing. And at that stage, you probably, again, you're probably not solving, trying to solve anything. I don't think any teenager picks up their first drink and and mm. thinks this is going to solve my anxiety. <laughs> this or, is the
1: answer to all of my problems.
0: Yeah. Or I'm feeling I'm feeling lonely, so I'm going to pick up this alcoholic drink that I've never tried yeah. before. I don't think that I'm. You know, I, th- I think. Uh, a lot of that stuff comes
1: through, uh, you know. Again, con- con- social conditioning. Yes, but the problem is, it's almost like once you've experienced it, your brain goes, "Oh, this might work." Yes, and and that's the problem is that it, you know I used to say this. Uh, I remember I used to say this early on when I was you know when I first gave up drinking. I used to say, um, "The problem is it's it's it works." Yeah. The problem is it's so effective, at, you know, as a kind of a quick fix. It's an incredibly effective quick fix. It it does do the job to a certain extent, mm. you know, and if you, if you've not, if you've been struggling through your life and you've been struggling with anxiety, you've been struggling with depression, low self-esteem, you know, um, just feeling kind of insecure, vulnerable, alone in the world, all these kinds of uncomfortable feelings. And then somebody gives you an alcoholic drink for the first time and you try it cause you're cur- curious, not mm. cause you think it's going to be the s- solve your problem, but because you just try it. And then you realize that the effect of that is that you felt a little bit better. Yes it's very hard not to keep moving in that direction because your brain simply goes, Ooh, this is the best thing we've found so far. We should, we should do this more often because this helped this helped. And the more you lean on that as a solution to life's problems, um, you know, that's, that's what you mean by the deepening relationship, right? It's just, it's like a codependent relationship where, um, you need alcohol and now alcohol needs you, right? And, and you, you exclude all other options. It's like a reflex. This is the secret. This is the neuroscience behind it. So basically your brain is, str- your, you know, your brain is a problem solving machine. That's what it is. It's just, it's just designed to solve problems. That's all it does. And if you have a problem and your brain can't figure it out and you've spent your childhood and your early, its you know, your teens and your early twenties wrestling with things and struggling with things and just like not being able to find answers and your brain is just spent, it's, it's, it's just desperate for a solution to these problems. And then alcohol comes along and it's like the best thing that you've found so far, your brain's going to grab hold of it and go, we can't turn this opportunity down. This is too good. This Mm. is too good to refuse. Right? So your brain's using it because it's just the best, you know, it's the closest thing that it's found to a solution to the problem. Quick solution as well, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Now, it's like a child with a toy like its favorite toy so if you've got like a you know a a, a child and it's you're trying to get like a dirty disgusting teddy off it because it needs to go <laughs> in the washing machine right and it won't give it up because it's its favorite toy it's like it's clutching tight to that because that's its, it's it's comfort right it's mm-hmm. it's comforter the easiest way to get the child to give up the toy is to offer it a better toy yeah <laughs> makes sense if you if you give it a bigger better more lovely teddy bear what does it what's it going to do with that toy that it's been clutching hold of yeah, it's gonna re- it's gonna let go, right? It's it's gonna chuck it in the corner like it has absolutely no worth to it whatsoever, and your brain will do the same thing with alcohol the minute you offer your brain a better solution to the problem. Makes perfect sense to me. The reason it's difficult to give up drinking is because we're not offering our brain an alternative.
0: Um, when you did decide, you know, finally, let's let's knock it on the head, let's let's you know, let, let's not drink anymore. Um, what kind of feedback did you get from other people? Did you, did you sort of shout that out? Were you quite um, sort of private about it? And, yeah. You know, did, did you get any, um, I don't know, like I said, like a, any um, reaction to Kick, from your friends yeah. and your family?
1: Resistance. Yes. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Massively. Um, I lost a lot of friends as a result of giving up drinking. Because a lot of the friends that I had weren't really friends. They were just kind of drinking buddies, you know? And it's like, oh, John's no longer available to come out drinking. So we'll just go drinking without John. But, you know, I would suggest there's a few friends that said, you know, told them what I was doing. And I said it would be really good if like we could still see each other, but in a, in a safer, almost like in a safe way, you know, so yeah. I would be like meet them for lunch instead of going to the pub with them in the evening and that kind of thing. And, Absolutely. um, that kind of worked. That kind of worked. Um, the friends who were never really that interested in drinking in the first place, they became better friends. You know, the, pe- the people who were on a similar kind of journey to me, they became good friends. Um, but it can be a lonely road. You know, I, I found a lot of comfort at that time in a, in a quote that is attributed to Buddha, but I don't know, like everything's attributed to Buddha, right? So you probably <laughs> didn't say this at all, but um, it was, um, it's better to walk alone than with a, a, a crowd headed in the wrong direction. Makes perfect sense to me. And it's one of those realities of, of giving up drinking is that we might have to accept that, you know, we're going to have, you know, we're going to, it's going to be a little bit lonely at times, Mm -hmm. you know, we're going to, we're going to miss out on some opportunities to socialize. It's almost like the price that we have to pay is, you know, maybe we're going to have to do less or of those types of things, it's almost like when I gave up drinking, I thought that's it. And my life is going to be incredibly boring because there's nothing to do in the UK that doesn't involve alcohol, yeah. right? I thought everything involved alcohol because that's the world that I was in, right? And those were the choices that I was making. And when I stopped making those choices and I, I said, well, what, what is there to do without alcohol? A whole new world opened up to me and there was all kinds of, oh my God, like, and you meet so many people who don't drink. It's mind blowing. Cause you just think, oh, everybody in the UK is a massive pisshead. That's like what we're all like. Yeah? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> just, yeah, yeah. But they aren't. And you start meeting people who are like, um, my girlfriend, for instance, she's never been drunk. Can you believe that? She's never been drunk. She doesn't know what that feels like.
0: It feels rubbish.
1: <laughs>
0: Don't do it. I love that. I, I does um, um, does your, your girlfriend not drink at all?
1: No, not not. Well, she like when I first met her, she would have um, she'd have like the odd bottle of cider Mm -hmm. if it was a sunny day and we we went somewhere. She might have a bottle of cider, but God, I've probably seen her have about ten alcoholic drinks in the in the nearly six years that we've been together, right? So she doesn't. It's not that she doesn't drink. It's just that she just has no interest in drinking.
0: Oh, that's um, because I I instantly assumed that um, you'd been with your girlfriend at at the point of stopping drinking, but at that point you weren't.
1: No, I met her afterwards. Yeah. I met her at the, when I was volunteering for the mental health charity, she was on the training with me and we met at at that, you know, we were both kind of there for the same reasons, which was, you know, we wanted to do something, wanted to give something back. We were trying to do something nice, you know, so we met on that training and that's, that's where our relationship started. Amazing. So w- when you when you did actually
0: um, decide to to quit, you were on your own at that yeah. stage. No, you know, n- no, no, like support. Like, um, I'm really lucky in the fact that my wife doesn't drink um, as a result of me stopping as well. Uh, so I've got that person in common. This, this person I used to fill our evenings with drinking, we're both not doing it. So we're we're in it
1: together. It's really, it's really hard if you try to give up drinking and you're in a relationship with somebody who likes drinking. I can't, I think that's probably the hardest situation you can find yourself in. It's like, you know, use any other drug, substitute it for any other drug. It's like, uh, I'm trying to give up heroin, my wife's a massive heroin addict. Right? <laughs> yeah. it's, it's not going to work. You know, it's like, it's not going to work. You're not going to, even if you manage to do it, I mean, the willpower that would be required is, you know, superhuman levels. It's just nobody. I mean, sure, there must be some people that are, that, that can do it, um, but it it wouldn't be normal. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be um, ordinary to be able to do something like that. You know, mm. we have to, we have to give ourselves the best possible chance. We have to avoid risky people, risky situations. So I started to become very kind of um, careful, very cautious. I would kind of label certain people as like, "That's not a safe person for me to be around right now." Yeah. That's not a safe place for me to go right now. I think for the first maybe year, I didn't even go into a pub, even for even for Sunday lunch. I just said, "I'm just going to stay out of pubs for a while." Yeah. You know, there's certain people, places, and things that you need to um, you need to just kind of put on your. Um, for now, that's not a good. It's not a good place for me to go. It's not something good to be in contact with because you've got to give your you've got to give your willpower the best possible chance, right?
0: Absolutely, it's a finite um, amount of energy, isn't it? Willpower, and I've, uh, I've, I've touched on this in uh, pr- briefly in episode three, uh, which talks about um, your identity around alcohol and and the fact that your um you know that, that at some point that you might have to have make that decision to protect yourself um, by. Not alienating yourself from your friends who are, who are drinking, but uh, make more conscious decisions and and take yourself out of situations where you um, you might struggle um, yeah. you know, and, and where, where your willpower might be seriously tested at least for the time being. like you said, you know if, if yourself um, you know for, uh, the first year, let's not go into a pub and eventually yeah. that's going to become easier maybe.
1: Yeah, but the best way, the, the best way to approach it is not focus on like what you can't do, but focus on what you can do instead, right? Look, yes. at, look for the opportunities, right? So, so giving up drinking, uh, it, it, it opens up a whole new world to you. And there's tons of opportunities of to try things that you haven't done before. It's almost like a second childhood is the way that I, I see it, which is it's like, Oh, there's all these things and I don't know which of them I'm going to like. And I've got loads of time to just try everything. And you just kind of throw yourself into it because if you're, If you take alcohol out of your life and suddenly like your whole life just opens up, you've now got this massive hole in your life Mm -hmm. and you can like fill it with loads of new stuff that you're really curious and interested to, to explore and to experience through that process of child and uh, trial and error, you're going to find a whole load of new things that you didn't even know that you enjoy, right? And you're going to discover things about yourself that you didn't previously know. And that journey is quite exciting and it's quite meaningful and it's quite, um, you know, it can make you really happy, that kind of journey.
0: You touched on it briefly about, um, you know, the, the friends that you, you know, were only, you were only friends because you drank together. And, and I'm sure p- other people have been in situations like this where they've been in a scenario where they've got some mates at uni or some college mates or something. And you almost never socialize with these guys sober. And then mm-hmm. you um, go into a situation where you do have to spend some time with them maybe later on down the line and, um, and you're not drinking for whatever reason. And you think this, this is different. You know, the, you aren't the people mm-hmm. that I, that I knew. You might even find yes. that you don't like those people. Yeah. Know, well, be- that's it.
1: I used to make this joke with my friends around about that time. I used to say, um, I, the only reason I drink is because you are so boring. <laughs> 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 that's brilliant. And I was only half joking, right? Yeah. So I used to, I used to reflect on this and I used to think, um, God, the things that we do when we're drinking, you would never do when you're sober. Like, no. oh, what did you do on Saturday night? Oh, literally, if you take the alcohol away, you go, oh, I went to um, the local pub and I sat at the, you know, at the end of a table and I just sat there for six hours. Yes, <laughs> Right. It's like without alcohol, that is the most boring thing ever. Mm-hmm. It's almost like alcohol fools us into thinking that our life is better than it really is. Yeah. I've never even thought about it like that. That's brilliant.
0: Yeah, and and, and now you've got my mind going and I'm thinking, what else did we do? And also, what did we talk about? And how many times did we repeat that conversation and what's (laughs) what's how many how many times did i say this particular story and you know there's always that 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 go to when you when you've had a few drinks and you're with some mates and you've had you've perhaps had two really memorable experiences with these people and it gets brought up every time you're in the pub because it's the only Mm -hmm. thing that's worth talking about in that situation you know
1: do you remember that one time when we lived our life and something happened yeah (laughs) wasn't that great (laughs) I love it. Yeah. And this is the problem with alcohol is like like alcohol just stops you from living your life. It stops you from having more experiences like that. It doesn't happen right away. You know, it's something that's important. I think there'll be people listening who will be thinking, look, you know, just talk, talking positively to myself and saying, yeah, come on, you know, things are better now. And I've got an opportunity for things. It's like, it's it's hard to see it that way when you're dealing with the just the cravings mm. and the the fear and the um, the discomfort of finding yourself almost like it, it, to me it felt almost like um, I had to leave my castle, you know, go outside of the fortress walls and walk into battle. Completely naked, like yes. with no armor on. Yeah, it feels like it feels like initially, you are um, you totally exposed. You know, to- to- totally vulnerable. So it can be a really scary feeling at first. I know not everybody's going to feel that way, but a lot of people will feel that way. Like, what the hell do I do without my coping strategy? How do I cope without my coping strategy? Right. Yeah
0: what what was the what was the worst bit for you in, in in the last 7 7 years what's been the what's been the hardest part
1: of not drinking what was the hardest part having to confront my feelings okay and not having an escape you know so when i felt bad not having a quick way out that was the hardest bit it was like learning how to deal with anger Mm-hmm. without turning to alcohol learning how to deal with shame learning how to deal with anxiety learning how to deal with anxiety's been a big one i think anxiety's probably my that's my one you know lots of anxiety i didn't realize quite how insecure and anxious i was until i gave up the alcohol and i was like holy crap is this what i've always been like is yeah. this what is this what i was like without alcohol you know the 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 fear you know it's almost like just reality just kind of comes along and punches you in the face yeah. right? and it leaves you reeling, but at the, the, the longer you kind of subject yourself to it, the more tolerance you build mm-hmm. and the more comfortable you get and the more skills that you develop and you learn how to naturally regulate those emotions and you learn how to take care of those parts of yourself and this kind of beautiful, loving and, and kind of compassionate relationship builds within you. It's like a relationship, a new relationship that you develop with yourself. Giving up drinking is almost like putting yourself into couples counselling, but it's just you and the part of yourself that you've been avoiding. Yes. You know, and it gives you an opportunity to learn how to heal that relationship, how to fix that relationship. None of that is possible if you're drinking. No. Because it's too easy to just carry on avoiding it. What's the part of you that you think,
0: since not drinking, that's changed the most for the better?
1: I've developed more. I've grown up. That's it. Simple answer. I've grown up a lot. I, I'm much more emotionally mature than I used to be. Mm-hmm. I, I think that I stopped maturing emotionally when I discovered alcohol. It's almost like, uh, find discovering alcohol is like hitting the, the pause button. It feels like in terms of your own emotional development. Obviously, I'm, f- you know, it feels like I continued to kind of physically age. Yes, You know, and maybe even kind of, you know, mentally age, you know, I kind of became, you know, I learned more skills and I became more competent and, and things like that. But emotionally, there was definitely some arrested development going on there. It's just, I used alcohol to deal with my feelings. So I didn't need to learn other ways of dealing with my feelings. So that development just got, you just kind of just stopped. Mm-hmm. So learning, learning how to deal with my feelings in, in a, in a healthy, natural way feels like growing up it feels like becoming a more mature version of yourself and strangely enough it's almost like you feel more proud of yourself you know you kind of you've kind of looked yourself in the mirror and you think you know kind of like not bad Mm. you know (laughs) you're actually you're getting pretty good at this life thing you know there's a lot of self-esteem that comes from that i think it's it's almost like um you know, people, people who want to feel more confident, you see confidence comes from competence, right? So the more competent we feel, quite naturally, we feel confident when we know we're competent and competence comes from making lots of mistakes and getting it wrong and falling on your face and picking yourself up and learning from it and thinking, what am I going to do differently next time? So the journey towards getting competent is really messy, (laughs) right? Yes. And it's really messy, this journey. You just kind of fail and try again and fail and try again and fail and try again. And all the while getting a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better. And at some point you, you, you'll you think, I think I'm getting quite competent now. Mm-hmm. I think I'm getting quite good at this emotion stuff. And with that, then naturally comes a feeling of self-confidence. And with that self-confidence quite naturally comes a feeling of self-esteem. And you just start to feel better about yourself. It's interesting how it works, but the, the biggest change that's, that, that's, is the emotional maturity, but actually the fact that I, I like myself now. And that's the first time that I've been able to say that in my whole life. That's amazing. That wouldn't have happened if I'd have carried on drinking. I don't think. I'd, have, I'd still be not liking myself very much today.
0: Do you think you resonate that through your personality as well? Has that changed?
1: Um, has it, has my personality changed? Yeah. I'm like, I'll always have that extroverted part because I developed it because I thought that's who I needed to be in order to get people to like me. Yes. But actually the real me is much, much more introverted than I was trying to be when I was younger. So I'm much more comfortable these days with my shyness and, mm. you know, the fact that I get anxious in social situations and um just like not wanting to try so hard, you know, and not wanting to be asked with people who can't be asked with me and all that kind of thing. You know, just like, oh, I can't be bothered with this game anymore. You know, like sod it if they don't like me, they don't like me and all that kind of stuff. So my personality's changed in that. I just, I used to try so hard to get people to like me mm-hmm. and I just don't do that anymore. It's, it's a re- I, I, I love that you've
0: said that because it's, it's exactly the way that I feel, Um, even in, in this early stage. I, I think if you just... And, I, and I've always said the, the same about um, yourself as well, because we've, we've known each other for um, uh, quite a while, is that you um, always exhumed confidence and, um, and clarity and were um, very articulate and social. And it, instantly you think classic extrovert. And, <laughs> um, and I, I'm not sure whether people think, think that about me, but I think I've always thought of myself as an extrovert in some sense, and I'm sure other people say the same, but actually when, when I looked into, I did do a little bit of research on this as to what the quali- what the qualities were for an extrovert and introvert, I was a hundred percent introvert yeah. and, and, ev- and especially since um, stopping drinking and, and, and a bit like yourself, I can switch it on if I really want yeah. to, I, I can choose to, but it takes a lot of energy to do yeah. that. And I do that in my work. You know, I can, I can switch that on and I can, I can, I can be extroverted in, in front of a group of people I teach. So you instantly think classic introvert, uh, sorry, classic extrovert. Um, it's not the case at all. And, um, I'm finding that I'm, I'm finding that I'm very comfortable with that as well. But also the fact that, um, I was tested recently in a, in a sort of small, cause we're in the middle of, um, the coronavirus a small sort of social, socially distanced, um, gathering. I had nothing to say to any of these people and, um, not because not for any negative reasons, I just kind of couldn't think of anything to say. Uh, and, uh, I usually I, when I'm, sp- I'm spending time with these people, it would be with a drink and I would feel mm-hmm. a little bit more comfortable. What I'm finding now is I'm not as social as I used to be and certainly not <laughs> yeah. as adept at, at being social. Um, and I'm kind of okay
1: with that, but I do, I, I feel like my awkwardness levels have risen. Now what's risen is your. Your your self awareness, right? Because you you, you're aware of yourself now. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like you're before when you were pissed, you weren't paying attention to what you were doing. You're just you're just like total ledge every time. you, Everything that came out, you're like, oh my god, I'm hilarious, (laughs) right? And when you take the alcohol away, it's like, oh my god, I'm what am I doing here? What am I doing that for? It's it's quite natural that when you take the alcohol away, you become you kind of watch yourself, Mm. like how am I doing? How am I doing? How am I doing? Am I okay? Am I, how am I coming across? Am I seeming weird Mm. because I'm not drinking? You know, how are people receiving the sober version of me? It's like, it's kind of quite natural that you'll just be a little bit worried about that. You know, how am I going to come across? How am I going to be received by other people? You know, Mm. are people still going to like me? Did people only like me because I was, you know, I was drinking, but people like the sober me, you know, all that kind of stuff. I think, after a while you realise it's fine and then you stop worrying about it.
0: Yeah, I, I, I worry that, um, and I don't worry about it, I wonder if people liked the non-sober me at all, you know, because I think when I was drinking I probably didn't give a shit, uh, mm-hmm. and I, or I didn't notice that people weren't finding me funny or weren't noticing that every now and again I'd be really uh, inappropriate and I thought it was hilarious and, and no one else did, <laughs> or they just kind of laughed it off. And um, yeah, I, I wonder is, you know, is this, is this, was this always me? It's just now I'm noticing it, you know? Yeah,
1: Interesting. I think there's something, there's an interesting point in this, which is like, why were you trying to get away from you? Right. I think a lot of people do this. Like, what is it? What is the reason that we, Try to get away from ourselves, or we try to turn ourselves into something else. It's like you started by asking me about this, and I think it's really, really important. This idea that there is a kind of a false self. There's the person that we think we should be. Like people think it's bad, it's negative to be introverted, and it's positive, you know, in our culture. Oh, it's great to be an extrovert. It's not so good to be an introvert. Mm-hmm. Introvert has all these negative connotations, like oh, it means that you're insecure, you're shy, you're unconfident, or whatever. I see it completely the other way around today. What I see is that like introverts are just so bloody self-contained and self-sufficient that they've got no need for for attention from the outside, right? They just have this rich inner life. They're just like super happy inside of themselves. It's the extroverts who are all like, oh, please like me, please like (laughs) me. Like, you know, they're they're the desperate ones. They're the needy ones. They're the insecure ones. So now when I see somebody like trying really hard, you know, to kind of come across in a positive way, I think that just screams insecure that screams a lack of a lack of confidence. I think kind of reframing this stuff and going actually do you know what I am an introvert and that's okay. And actually I'm starting to think that actually a good thing. It's mm. a good thing to be an introvert, you know. So it's almost like when you stop drinking you get to meet the real you. And then the work that needs to happen is you need to learn to accept yourself. Yes. You know, accept your, what is it? Know yourself, accept yourself, and be yourself. That's the secret, right? So first of all, you've got to know yourself. You don't know yourself if you're drinking, you know? You've got to learn, once you know yourself, you've got to learn how to accept yourself the way you are and stop judging yourself, right? Stop saying, oh, this isn't great, or that's not good, or I wish that was different, And you know? You've got to stop all those bad habits. Stop all those bad habits. When when you eventually get to stage, I feel like I've got to that stage now. Largely, <laughs> there's still things about myself that it's difficult. It's difficult for anybody to accept, let alone me, right? <laughs> but there's certain things. It's like, oh god, I don't like that. I wish I wasn't like that. You know, I really wish I didn't. I wasn't that. That wasn't a part of me. There's still work to do. There's there's always going to be work to do. But mostly, there's like a lot of things that I didn't like about myself when I stopped drinking. That today I either don't mind or actually I quite like about myself.
2: Yeah,
1: and. That makes being sober so much more enjoyable
0: that's lovely um it's which uh, is it's this is all amazing and, and revelations and uh I love the I love that you know the, there's there's things that have been going on in the back of my mind that um I haven't put on paper I haven't spoken to anybody about it and it's just really nice to hear that you know these are all kind of potentially normal parts of the process and and it's certainly some of the stuff that that you went through and uh, came through the other side and, and it's all really positive, um, you know, which is absolutely fantastic. I would love to jump into some questions if that's OK, John. But first, I want to give a quick shout out to the good folks over at One Year No Beer. One Year No Beer have been instrumental during my booze break journey. I signed up to the 90-day challenge on there and the help that both Ruri, Andy, as well as the One Year No Beer Facebook group have given throughout this time has been so valuable. By signing up, I was given access to a ton of helpful resources as well as their amazing Facebook community with over 20,000 members. I get an email first thing every morning with a video highlighting a helpful tip or useful strategies to use throughout the day. Watching these has been such a positive way to start my morning routine and I can't thank them enough. I love One Year No Beer so much that I reached out to them recently and they kindly agreed to help support me in the podcast, which I'm so grateful for. So if you're interested in following in my footsteps and taking on either a 28-day, 90-day or 365-day challenge, you can head over to my website and on the homepage there'll be a One Year No Beer banner that you can click on and sign up for your challenge. I can highly recommend the guys at One Year No Beer and by signing up through my website you'll be helping to support the show, which would really mean a lot to me. But for now, back to the episode. I'm really excited about these. I'm mostly excited about my own question, of course. Um, so, wh- wh- and we actually talked about this briefly, is the fact that I'm in this stage now, 42 days, um, and I, I'm i so excited. I'm buzzing. I'm most of the time really positive. Um, I, I've come across a few blips of, of um, you know, of, of doubt or concern or, or whatever, um, but mo- mostly positive. And I'm slightly concerned that that's going to fizzle out. And, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and, uh, and if so, is that a bad thing? And the main reason why I'm concerned is once I stop being so excited about not drinking, is that am I going to start to think maybe I can have a drink? Well, what, what, what's your thoughts on that? Is, is, is there a way of either um, you know, continuing this um, enthusiasm? Or is there a way of battling the, the kind of the, the thoughts that actually if I stop being enthusiastic, it's a bad thing?
1: Yeah, well, I I think that, you know, what you're doing is probably the best chance that you've given to yourself. It's like you set up a podcast where you (laughs) constantly think and talk and report about not drinking. You know, it's almost like you've made a commitment to this, right? So that's the best way. It's probably the best thing that you could do to try to give yourself. It's an incredibly selfish thing that you're doing, this podcast. (laughs) I know, I can
2: totally appreciate that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But I did as well. I became a therapist because I knew that if I. If I didn't become a therapist and I kind of stopped thinking about this stuff and I stopped kind of living it day in day out that it would probably just, uh, I'd become complacent and then I'd probably relapse into old behaviors because I would just think, oh, you know, I'll just, I'd forget, I'd forget how bad it used to be and go back to it again, mm-hmm. you know? So I kind of felt like I, I needed to stay in the, the theme of it all, I guess, you know, for myself.
0: You're giving yourself an excuse to live it, um, and and uh, you know uh, live and breathe and research all of these things that you hold um, as really valuable. Uh, you know, like you say, rather than kind of just going, "Well, I'm okay now, and, and I'll just crack on with my life and not worry about yeah. you know constant reevaluation of of you know your own happiness or your own drinking."
1: Yeah. Um, and it's kind of like we, we become, we slip back into kind of mindlessness, right? Where we're not consciously aware of what we're doing. We're not living, we're not living consciously. And then that's where the risk, that's where the risk is. It's not a bad thing to have a little bit of anxiety that just kind of tunes you into, oh, is this the right thing to be doing? Should I really be going there? Should I be really meeting up with this person? You know, that's going to help you early on. I think it's just kind of, it's good. Complacency is, is, is risky. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't want to get to the stage where we're overconfident. We think, ah, I reckon I could go back to it and it'll be fine. You know, yeah. um, just making a commitment to it. So it's, it's like Jim Rohn said, there's like this, this, um, American kind of public speaker guy from the seventies who <laughs> I really like. And he said, if you discover something that helps you teach it to 10 people. Yes. Cause they, all, they all get to hear it once, but you get to hear it 10 times. Absolutely. Right? They- and i think reinforcement is a really important part of this is that you have to kind of you know throw yourself into it right you know it's like you know listen to the episodes of this podcast kind of emerge yourself immerse yourself sorry in the communities and the you know the the materials and just kind of soak yourself in it it's like um what do they call it what do they call it there's a word for it which is like um Oh, there's a word for it. I'll come back to that later. I'll come back to that later, but there's a word that describes it perfectly. I'll remember it in five minutes and then I'll just blot it out in the middle of something else and it'll ruin that bit as well. (laughs) Uh, yeah, they just like I say, just the best thing to do is to totally immerse yourself in it. So just 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 do make your whole make your whole life about this for the next next 60 days. Like don't do this as just like um, you know, oh, just one of the things that you've got on your to-do list. Like, make this, make this the the focus. Make this the theme um, for the next, you know, for the next few months. Certainly, for the next few months.
0: Yeah, it's it's so positive as well, isn't it? You know, and I think if if you're making these positive changes. And, um, you know, you're noticing, you know, it, it's been a big part of your life, let's say, if you're a daily drinker or something, it's a huge difference. But if you can stay positive about that and, and keep motivated in, in that respect, and like you say, immersing yourself in all of the benefits and the social groups and stuff, it's going to make a huge difference.
1: It just, it just um, helps. It just helps for you not to, you know, kind of go all in. That's the most important thing. Go all in. Even if you're just saying, oh, for the next four weeks, I'm going to go all in. You know, the worst thing that people do is they give up and then they think, right, the work is done because I've stopped drinking alcohol. So now I just need to keep not drinking alcohol. And that's it. So that's that done. And then they just sit at home and they watch TV and they do all the things they used to do when they were drinking. Right. So they've removed the alcohol, but nothing's changed. That's the that's the worst thing you can do. You know, it's a difficult thing during lockdown. Right. Yeah. Which is like, oh, this is great advice, John. Like where the hell am I supposed to go? Like I'm literally trapped in my house, right? But the truth is it's like there are courses that you can take, there are podcasts that you can listen to, there are books that you can read, you know. Um, there's loads of stuff you do. There's there's Facebook groups that you can join, you know, there's there's it's almost like get involved in the various mm-hmm. different communities. Make friends that are on the same journey as you, you know, kind of get a bit of um accountability and also a little bit of kind of um public peer pressure maybe if you hang around with your old drinking buddies the peer pressure is going to be to go back to drinking sure. if you hang around with new people that are uh, you know trying really hard to 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 give up alcohol then the peer pressure is going to be to to stay stopped so you can use these kind of, these natural pressures to your advantage, really. You can make public declarations of what you're doing because, you know, because then you'd be embarrassed if you had to admit to people that you'd failed and all that kind of stuff. You know, you can kind of trick yourself into it almost, you know, there's there's cheeky things that you can do that give you a better chance. Um, but it isn't about enthusiasm. You can't use, you can't use willpower because you're not always going to feel like you want to do this. No, it, this is never going to, this is nothing worth doing is going to, you're never going to wake up every day and think, oh, I still feel like I really want to do this today. The time will come that you're like, I don't know if I, I don't know if I do feel like doing this. I, in the first two years for me, there was lots of times where I was just like, I don't know if I want to keep going with this. I don't know if I'm enjoying this. I don't know if this is working for me. The better thing to use is value, values, your own personal values to remind, remind yourself why you want it, why it's important to you. Not even goals. Goals are a crap motivator as well, quite frankly, because they're too far off in the distance and it just, they lose their um, power because they're too far away. Yeah. You know, if you say to somebody like, would you like me to give you a pound now or 10 pounds next week? Most people would say, just give us the quid now because yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the value that's in your hand right now is more compelling than something that you might get further down the road. So. Goals are a crap motivator, but what's a really good motivator is your values. You know, like, so if you can really connect with why you want to stop drinking, why it's important to you, you know, is it a value of health? Is it a value of, um, family? Mm-hmm. You know, is it, for me, it was because I was trying really hard to be successful in, in it, make my business successful. And my, because of my drinking, I was like not going into work and, and I was missing deadlines and I was losing money and I was losing clients And it just felt like my drinking was hurting my chances of being successful. So that was what was important to me. Like I wanted to be successful in life and I knew that I wasn't gonna be able to achieve the things I wanted to achieve if alcohol kept getting in the way. So that was a big motivator for me early on, was like the value of success, the value of achievement. That was like more important to me than wanting to get drunk you know or more important to me than the value of socializing right so it's it's like i had to find something that was more important and the great thing about values is you don't have to f- be in a good mood to live your values you know if you have the value of kindness you'll find a way to be kind to people even though you're not feeling like it right yeah. because it's just who you want to be it's just important to you so you, a value you don't have to feel like living a value you just live it because it's it's, it's who you are, right? Yeah. It's, it's who you are. So identify why you want to stop. Identify the values that underpin those reasons and write them down and keep them close and remind yourself every day, this is why I'm doing this. This is why I'm doing this. This is why I'm doing this. It'll help to get you through the, the, the difficult days where you feel like giving up.
0: That's really helpful. I, I, when I um, first Sort of, uh, I've had a few blips, like yourself. Um, you know, down the road, a few attempts, and um, I had um some some sort of therapy sessions with a a lovely local lady, and um, she she gave me um a a sort of task of, essentially, again, writing down my values, but my 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 reasons why why am I doing this, Mm -hmm. and I wrote down several. I think it's okay to have a few, um, and I would look at it every single night. Um, before I went to bed and every time I woke up in the morning and it would just kind of, um, sort of implant them into my, into my mind or my subconscious mm-hmm. or something that uh, until the point where I, um, didn't need to look at them anymore. They're so ingrained, mm-hmm. you know, and, and sometimes you do have to think, you know, I, I think to, to some extent, um, You can have a rehearsed answer to a lot of those kinds of questions, can't you? You know, because it's what society expects you to, um, to answer or, um, Mm -hmm. because you've heard it before or something like that. There's, there's lots of situations where you do that, but really kind of thinking about exactly what's important to you very selfishly as well. I think it's okay to be selfish in these scenarios.
1: Um, Yeah, absolutely. It's the only thing that will work with something like this. You have to be selfish. You have to do it for you. You have to do it for selfish reasons. It can't be, um, I want to give up alcohol. Why? Uh, I want to do it, you know, I want to do it for my partner. Mm-hmm. It's like, you won't do it. No. Like, it, it has to be selfish. Has to, I want to do it for myself. You know, mm. why? Because this isn't who I want to be. This isn't the way I want to live. You know, this is not, this is not, drinking is not taking me in the direction of the life that I want. It's not taking me in the direction of the person I want to become. It's another lovely quote by Jim, Jim Rohn, actually. I love this guy. He's amazing. Look him up. If you've never heard of Jim Rohn, look him up. I'm writing him Um, down right now. (laughs) He said, the the real, the true value in life is not what you get. The true value in life is what you become. Beautiful. And I think the best thing about giving up drinking is that it it gives you an opportunity to become more than you've ever been before. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think is the really exciting thing about this journey is that, I can become, if I, you know, if I can just get the booze out of the way, I can then go on a journey of becoming the person I most want to be. And that's really the reward. It isn't giving up drinking. It's, it's what you become as a result of giving up drinking. That's what the real reward is.
0: I've got one from Suzanne who asks, uh, why is it so hard to give up alcohol when you know, for health reasons, it makes sense. You're going to feel mentally and physically better and you're going to lose weight. So wh- why even,
1: even with those reasons, I suppose that mm-hmm. maybe they're not good enough. Why Hi, Su- Suzanne, by the way, that's a really good question. It's a really good question. Um, the reason is it's not logical. It's emotional. You know, what you've stated is a whole lot of logical reasons why you should give up drinking, but it's almost like your your emotions listen to that and go, you go, well, I probably shouldn't do this because blah, 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 blah. And your emotions just go, yeah, I'm still going to do it anyway. So you know, yeah. It's the emotional part of you that is attached to the alcohol. It isn't the logical part of you. It's why it's so difficult to just kind of, you know, positive think your way out of this one. Because you're appealing, like the rational part of you already knows that you shouldn't be drinking. It's like, that's not the part of you that has the problem. (laughs) So it's like preaching to the converted. It's like you come up with a load of logical reasons why you should stop drinking. And the logical part of you is like, I know, I've been trying to tell her. (laughs) I've been trying to tell her to stop for a It's because it's emotional. It's because we're using it as an avoidance strategy to avoid some kind of pain or some kind of discomfort that we don't want to experience. So the reason those reasons are not enough is it's, it's, it's like going to somebody who's in chronic pain and saying to that person, you really need to give up these painkillers because they're bad for your kidneys. And that person's like, but if I stop taking the painkillers, I'll experience the pain. And you're like, but they're, you're not listening to me. They're bad for your kidneys. And and there's, there's a, the part part of you that's in pain is like, I don't care about my kidneys. I, I just care about not being in pain. That's why it's difficult. That's why it's difficult. That's why we need to find a different way of dealing with our pain. Right. It's like you, I can't get, you know, in my private practice when I'm working with clients, I can't give somebody to give up, get somebody to give up a coping strategy until I've replaced it with a better coping strategy. So I need to give them a a better way of coping. And when I offer them that, their brain will, will grab hold of that. If I can give them something that has, that, that achieves the result without any of the costs the brain will go this is better and it'll drop the old coping strategy and grab hold of the new one instead right the the mistake that most people make is just trying to talk themselves out of drinking mm-hmm. without replacing anything or without kind of offering themselves anything better so it's all about the relationship that you have between the logical part of you and the emotional part of you
2: mm-hmm.
1: and when the when the the emotional part of you is clearly in in pain right it's clearly uh, frightened. It's almost like imagine a conversation between a parent and a child, and the parent wants the child to stop uh, doing something that's bad for them, and the child says, "I'm scared," and the uh, the adult just keeps coming back with like logical reasons why they should stop. Yes. Like, it's like the adult needs to respond in an emotional way. It needs to say, "I know you're scared. I know you're frightened, but you know you know." You know, this is not good for you. And you know that we have to stop this, but don't worry, I'm going to help you. And I'm going to be here with you as you go through this journey. And we're going to do this together and you will not be on your own. And I'm going to help you to find something that's better than this. If you can learn to talk to yourself in that way, then you're going to appeal to the emotional part of yourself, you know, and that part of you, if that part of you can see that you're trying to help and you're not just trying to punish then um, it'll, it'll comply. It's more likely to comply. Amazing. It's getting a bit deep this, but it's, it's like, it's, it's about the fact that you're, you know, our logical part of our brain and our emotional part of our brain, they can, they can stop working in harmony with each other. And it's almost like in the absence of a, a, a parent taking care of that frightened child, the child grabs hold of anything that they can find for comfort. Mm-hmm. And in our situation, that's alcohol. Yes. But it's a substitution for the care that it was hoping to receive from yourself, quite frankly. So alcohol really is a substitute. It's basically, it substitutes a, for a lack of self-care. That's what it really is.
0: I've got a great question from uh, Luke, and this is something that I can really gel with as well. How do you manage your mood during the initial stopping of alcohol? So I imagine this is pretty early on. Um, from the highs of feeling good and at times erratic behavior to the lows.
2: Mm.
1: It's good. It kind of follows on from what we were just saying, right? So, so, um, Luke, the thing to say about that is this, this is it. This is the game, right? This is the challenge. Not, we've been using alcohol to manage our moods. So when you take the, the alcohol away, your moods are going to go all over the place and you're not going to know how to manage them because you haven't learned how to do that yet. Cause there was no need because alcohol was doing it for you, right? So, uh, it, this is it, right? You've got to expect that it's going to be, messy and that you're going to make mistakes and you're going to not necessarily like the version of yourself that you become initially, because you'll go from being somebody who felt like you were kind of quite composed because alcohol was kind of keeping everything. It's kind of keeping everything. It's kind of setting a limit on it. And then you might find that your your moods go quite volatile for a while. But if you just let it happen, eventually what's going to happen is you're going to figure it out. Mm -hmm. And then when you figure it out, you will no longer need alcohol to regulate your moods for you because you'll have figured out how to do it for yourself but the the best way to learn is to just throw yourself in at the deep end and then just go what ah, what do i do with this you know yes. what do i do with this feeling what do i do with that feeling you know the, if you can keep alcohol out of the equation it'll give you an opportunity to learn if if you're looking for like a kind of a tip what I, I'm going to say, go back to what I said earlier on, which was you need to learn what each of the feelings are trying to tell you. Because each of your feelings has a kind of a solution. You know, it has a response. You know, mm-hmm. if you're feeling lonely, it is seek com- comfort or company with somebody else, you know, or connect to yourself. Because cause if you're fully connected to yourself, you can never experience loneliness. Yes. That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, because you can never be lonely if you're if you have a good relationship with yourself. It's it, loneliness is a sign that we are disconnected, just as disconnected from ourselves as we are from other people. Um, if you're sad, you know you need comfort, you need um, kindness, you need compassion, you need to be gentle with yourself, right? You know, if you're anxious, you need to uh, slow down, you need to to take a break, you need to um, do things that will help you to. feel safe, because anxiety is just that you don't feel safe. So if if you're suffering with anxiety, it's simply just that you're in that moment. It's something about your experience doesn't feel safe. So anything that helps you to feel safe, you need to do that to help to calm your anxiety down. If you're depressed, it's because you're avoiding your feelings. Depression isn't a feeling. People say, you know, oh, I'm depressed. Like, like I'm feeling depressed. You're not feeling depressed. You're feeling nothing. That's what depression yeah. is. It's an absence of feeling. Depression isn't something we feel. Depression is that we don't feel anything. And as a result of that lack of feeling, life becomes meaningless because it just becomes, you know, just totally dull. And yeah, just, just. It's that classic, what's the point? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What's the point? So, you know, if you're fe- if you're feeling depressed, you need to actually connect with your feelings a bit better. You need to kind of tune into yourself and find out how you're feeling. If you're feeling anxious, you need to do things to help yourself to feel safe. You need to take the pressure off yourself and kind of slow down, maybe stop, you know, relax. If you're feeling angry, it might be that you need to say how you, you tell somebody how you feel, you know, or, or right or wrong in some way. So there might be some kind of action that you take. You might need to your anger will tell you where your limits are so you might need to set a boundary with somebody else. You might need to tell them that the way they're treating you is not okay, mm-hmm. right? So it's a kind of it's a call to action to assert yourself in some way. So the thing is there's a there's a literacy to each of these emotions. As you learn what your emotions are, you can also learn what they're signaling and then you know what action to take in order to um to solve the problem. How like if you're hungry and and you eat if you're hungry and I give you a Mars bar, right? <laughs> I don't know why it's a Mars bar, but let's say I give you a Mars bar. Um, how soon after you start eating that Mars bar does the hunger go away? Quickly, I don't know. I've yeah. I've, never, I've never really thought about it, but yeah, pretty quickly. Yeah, it's like pretty much it's instantaneous, right? Yeah. It's it's a, you feel immediately better. And sometimes just knowing that somebody's bringing you a Mars bar is enough to make you feel better. It's like you haven't even got it yet, but just knowing it's coming is enough to make you feel better. See, when you figure out what am I feeling and what do I need, and then you go to get that thing for yourself, often that's enough to make you start feeling better. Mm -hmm. You see, but we don't do that. We don't respond to our feelings like, you know, it's like the, it's like the fire alarm going off, right? Your emotions are like a fire alarm going off what we do with alcohol oh i can't believe i haven't said this already this is a great metaphor Ooh, for drinking forward to this so it's like the fire alarm's going off if the fire alarm's going off what's that alerting you to uh, a fire or an emergency right light. okay so if there's a fire and the, there's a fire uh, in your home the fire alarm is asking you to do what escape right get away yeah. get get away from the danger right so either either put the fire out or try or get outside right alcohol is like taking the battery out of the smoke alarm oh i like that john that's
0: brilliant so you just nothing gets dealt with and you just you're in a burning building essentially
1: yes it's like your 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 life is on fire all around you and you just sit sit in the middle of it going well as long as i don't as long as i can't hear the fire alarm yeah you know it, it doesn't matter so when we put the battery back in the smoke alarm what's going to happen
0: uh, the the alarm's going to go off, I guess.
1: Right, the alarm's going to go off, right, yeah. and then we're going to have to figure out what does the what's the alarm trying to tell me, and what is it I have to do, right? So then, so then when we learn to respond to the alarm by putting the fire out the alarm goes off naturally, right? Because there's no need for the, if there's no smoke, there's no alarm, right? So when you learn that the alarm is signaling that there's a fire and you learn that the action you need to take is to put the fire out, then the alarm goes off and it goes off permanently and you don't need to take the battery out of the smoke alarm. You just need to solve the problem. And all of your emotions are like little fire alarms going off inside of you, going warning, this, you need this, or you need that, or you need something else, right? And if we take the alcohol away, the feelings will come back, but then we are in a position then to learn, well, what is this feeling? Why do I have this feeling? What does this feeling want from me? What does this feeling need? That's a great question, by the way, to ask yourself, is when you're feeling any feeling at all, ask yourself, what does this feeling need? That's a, yeah,
0: that's a very um, internal, um, brilliant um, suggestion. It's,
1: I guess, I mean, is that would you class that as mindfulness? Well, it is. It's just pure self-awareness, right? Yeah. It's just, you're becoming, you're becoming uh, almost like skilled at understanding yourself and responding to yourself. It's really, it's, it's, it's called attunement in, in psychology, which is I'm, I'm, I'm attuned into myself, like you with your daughter, right? Mm. It's like when she starts making noise, You're very quick at very quickly tuning into her and going, right, what does that noise mean? What does she need? Right? What do I need to do now? And then the faster you respond, the quicker that you deal with the problem. Like like you can avoid tantrums. You can avoid all kinds of horrible situations by just being very, very, very attuned to her needs and responding to it very quickly. And we can learn to do that with ourselves. Brilliant. I've got one
0: more that we've got time for, I think, Uh, John. Um, which is a big one. Angela on the Facebook uh, page, hello, Angela, um, asks, uh, what are the most successful tips or techniques recommended to stay on
1: track when giving up alcohol? Hi, Angela. Great question. Let me just think. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> that's a big one. Staying on track. What do we mean by staying on track? What do you think that Angela means by staying on track? Uh, I instantly, I, I, I went straight to cravings.
0: Um, okay. you know, I, I, cause that, cause I think that's at the, at the stage where I've been at recently, although they're not too bad, uh, is, you know, um, how do you not give
1: in to temptation? How do you, how do you not break essentially? Okay. So we, we can develop the ability. So the thing about urges of all different kinds is that they are temporary in nature. So most cravings, they, they last anywhere from kind of 30 seconds to about two minutes, two and a half minutes long, and then they subside and they go away. What tends to happen is, what in that two minutes, we give in, yes, and then we're then we're drinking, right? So it's like, do you know what the difference between me and a heroin addict is? No, I (laughs) need to hear though. (laughs) Right, when I get the urge to take heroin, I resist the urge. Mm -hmm. Right, I don't take heroin a heroin addict when they get the urge to take heroin they act on it so the only yes. difference is i don't act on those thoughts i don't act on those feelings or those urges or those sensations right that's why i'm i don't use heroin right but somebody who does act on those things we'd call call them a heroin addict that's the only difference yes that's the only difference so your your urges can't hurt you unless you act on them your thoughts can't hurt you unless you act on them you know your feelings can't hurt you unless you act them out right so the goal is to get very good at just sitting still and just kind of observing all of this stuff going on inside of ourselves and just kind of watching it with curiosity and like watching the arc of an urge right and kind of go oh I'm getting a craving and then just watch it oh that's in- oh I like to think of it this way imagine that you were an alien yes that has been that's got to borrow a human body for 24 hours right and you've got to kind of Report back on what it's like to be a human being. So you've got 24 hours to experience being a human being. And then you've got to write a report and you've got to go back to your, you know, your home planet. And you've got to tell people what this human being thing is all about. And it's imagine being that alien as as they have a craving for alcohol, right? Yes. They wouldn't run off and get alcohol. They would sit like a curious scientist and go, whoa, what is this? What's this experience that, you know, that, that people call a craving? What What is it? And they would study it and they'd go, wow, that's so interesting. Like it comes on, it's not so strong to come. It really starts to build. And then there seems to be this like crescendo. And then, wow, how long has it been now? It's been a minute and a half. Wow. It feels like it's really peaking out a minute and a half. Oh, I can feel, there you go. I can feel it dropping off now. You know, oh, it's really starting to subside. Well, that's interesting. So that's about two and a half minutes and it's completely gone. Wow, that's fascinating. I can't wait to tell everybody about this, Yeah. right? We call it urge surfing, which is really the process of 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 kind of being a kind of passive observer of your own urges. So you want to kind of step away from those urges. And instead of feeling like the urge is happening to you, you kind of, you step to one side of it and you watch it happening mm-hmm. as if it's kind of separate. It's a separate phenomenon. You use a part of your brain called the observing self. Which is the part of your brain that can watch you do things. It can watch you live your life. So you use that part of your brain to watch you have an urge and watch you dealing with the urge, yes. right? So you kind of notice yourself having an urge. You say, you can say to yourself, I notice I'm having an urge. You know, I notice that I'm really struggling with this urge. I notice that I feel a really strong compulsion to act, you know to drink alcohol i noticed that what the alcohol that i'm craving is white wine you yes. know i noticed that my mind is now telling me that white wine is the solution to my problems you know it's you can just kind of document it all and but don't act on it right this no. is the secret you get so busy just observing it's not about action it's just about observation it's just okay. about noticing paying attention what will eventually happen by doing this is that the the urges won't seem so compelling and they won't seem so threatening and they won't seem so powerful. They'll start to kind of look look quite harmless. Yes. And when that happens, it's easier when that happens, it's easier to dismiss them. The reason it's difficult to dismiss an urge is because they feel so important and so real and so scary. And actually, if you just sit and watch them for a while, you'll realize that they're they're nothing at all, really. They're just a slightly uncomfortable sensation in the body.
0: It makes. That's sense. That's what it is. I, um, funnily enough, we we touched onto that on I think episode two of the uh, the podcast, and it's a very similar technique um, that I uh, used when dealing with um, thoughts um, sort of revolving around anxiety, and just try and separate yourself. and And I've ne- I've never. Uh, I've never heard of the phrase, the, the, um, the, the, did, you, did you say the, the observing self? That's a yeah. brilliant way of putting it. Yeah. It's like almost like I, I've always had it in my mind. and I could never really put it into words, but this kind of, um, the best way I could describe it is like having a sort of um, um, out of body experience. But again, mm-hmm. that's not the right way of doing it, but actually having yeah. an observing experience is a much better way of kind of, um, of visualizing that almost.
1: That's brilliant. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. It's, it's actually a master skill of of happiness is, is learning how to watch yourself go through your life. It's almost, it's almost like instead of being caught up in the drama of the play that's on the stage and feeling like you're in the play and it's all going on around you and it's terrifying, you've got to kind of put yourself in the audience and just kind of watch the, and just watch the, the play happening from that distance. You know, it's, it's the same reason that you can go to the cinema and you can watch a horror film and not run out screaming. Yes, You know, because it feels like there's enough detachment there that you feel like, well, I'm safe. So I can, I can be close to it and I can observe this, but I, you know, but I'm not going to get caught up in it. It's not going to get me. It's not going to get me. The observing self allows you to kind of to stay connected to yourself, but, but just kind of create a little bit of room, a little bit of distance, step back from those cravings. As if, like you're almost like take the craving out of your body and just hold it up in your hand and kind of like hold it out in front of you and just kind of look at it and study it for a bit, um, and it just starts to look a bit harmless, really. It just starts to look like, oh, that's not that's annoying. I wish I didn't have those. Um, but the it the the main thing really is, um, don't be frightened of cravings. Like cravings can't hurt you. No. Acting on cravings can hurt you. Acting on cravings can kill you. No, absolutely. Yeah, but the the craving itself can't do anything. I mean, it just feels a bit uncomfortable. So we can get really good at surfing those urges and just kind of learning how to how to ride those waves. And and um, the the better we get at that, the the less we have to do it. Strangely enough.
0: Yeah, well, I imagine uh, at some stage, you know, those that kind that kind of observing self becomes um, just a natural way of dealing with those things until the point that you barely notice them at all. It's just another thought yeah. that, that isn't uncomfortable. So hopefully that's, um, helpful, uh, Angela, John, this has been amazing. Um, I've really enjoyed, um, speaking to you. I wish you could come on every week and, uh, and, and we can have these conversations, but, um, what I would, I'd love to know what, what's, What's next for you? What's what what what's your goal? What what have you got um kind of going on in the world of happiness hacks? I'd I'd love to
1: hear you kind of uh, we we don't did, like to talk about goals, but uh... I know. Well, it's 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 like I've got a new project that's starting. Actually, it's 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 a twelve month happiness project. Which w- what worked for me in my life was not going to see a therapist. Mm-hmm. I I went to see therapists. It didn't work for me. I couldn't find a good therapist. I couldn't find any. I've been to see dozens of therapists. Going to see a therapist wasn't the thing that helped me. What helped me was becoming a therapist, yes. right? That's the thing that changed my life. When I just thought, you know what, sorry, I'm why am I depending on somebody else to help me through this? I'm going to just I'm just going to teach myself how to do this stuff. So becoming a therapist um allowed me to kind of become my own therapist. So And therapy is really expensive. You know, if you come, come to our private practice, it costs, you know, it costs probably 400 pound a month to be able to work with a therapist. It's a lot of money to work with a therapist. And for most people, they just simply can't afford that. That's not, that's not, um, that's not a possibility. So I wanted to make the same thing that helped me available to other people. So I'm developing a 12-month program, which annoyingly, because I haven't launched it yet, I can't actually tell you what the name of it is. Well, that's okay. Because because <laughs> it's coming out in two weeks and I've I've um I'm kind of holding the name back for the launch, if you like. But um it's basically it's a happiness program and it's it's 12 months long and people can join it and it's only 47 pounds a month. So it's an opportunity for people to learn the secrets of psychotherapy, and I'm gonna teach people what i learned that helped me so that people can become their own therapists so i've ident- i've identified 12 blocks that get in the way of people's happiness that stop them from being happiness and uh, being happy and every month what we do is we take one of those blocks we study it then in the second week we dismantle it and then in the third week we replace it with a new uh, you know a new habit which actually leads to happiness and then in the fourth week what we do is we do Kind of maintenance activities to 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 make it a permanent change. So it's almost like week one we study it, week two we take it to pieces, week three we replace it, and week four we make it permanent. And then we go through this process for twelve months. And so at the end of twelve months, that we'll have kind of systematically removed twelve of the blocks that are stopping stopping people from being happy. Um, and at the end of it, they will be significantly happier. So that's the thing that I'm working on at the minute. It's really exciting. I've never done anything like this before, and I'm two weeks. I'm, I'm um, it's not finished yet, but only about two weeks away from having it completely finished. But if people want to um, find out about that, it, the best way to do it is either through the Happiness Hacks podcast or the Happiness Hacks Facebook group, which is which is also free. Amazing. I, I will leave uh, notes of all of this um, information
0: in the show notes, and uh, as and when we've got links and things like that, they'll all be in there as well for for people who are listening because this won't come out. This won't come out for at least a couple of weeks. Um, I, I would have thought anyway. So I'm really, really excited to um to 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 see that grow. I'm very interested in it myself as well. And and was it forty eight pounds? Did you say?
1: 47 quid yeah
0: 47 pounds is 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 very accessible for most people um and it's money well spent if you know if 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 that's an investment in happiness over over a period of a year that's very affordable
1: thank you so much thank you so much for having me on today i know there's it's like this is the kind of thing you could talk for a week about this stuff because it's so nuanced Nuanced, and there's so many different ways of kind of going at it. And there's so many different ways that people can struggle with this challenge, right? Because it's difficult, difficult for different people in different ways. Mm-hmm. And for some people it will be, you know, difficult to give up the social aspect. For some people it's the crutch, you know, for some people it's like, what the hell do I do if I'm not drinking? It's just, you know, the kind of the monotony. It's like we all drink for different reasons. So it giving up drinking reveals a host of different problems. So it, it's difficult to speak to them all, right. In a single episode of a podcast. Um, but we'll do it again.
0: Yeah. That's, I, I would, I would love at some stage to, to get you um, back in. Um, I, I'd be really interested to hear the listeners feedback from um, today's episode. And if you've got any more questions, perhaps sometime in the near future, we could do a deep dive on maybe one or two of those. Um, I'd like and, that. And go, go in deep on, on, cause I feel like uh, I feel like you know that the um that some of the topics that I had to leave out um were too broad for 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 mm-hmm. you know for, for something like this, but we could potentially do a whole episode on just one one topic yeah. in, entirely and 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 I think that'd be really beneficial so yeah we'd love we'd love to have you back um and uh, thank you so much for for for
1: being on and taking the time. Thank you so much for for having me it's been it's been wonderful. I hope this has been helpful for the people who are listening.
0: Thank you so much, John. It's been lovely to speak to you, mate. Have a lovely evening and uh, take care.
1: Andrew, I'll see you soon. Take care.
0: All right. That was John Davidson, psychotherapist and host of Happiness Hacks. I hope you enjoyed that and got some useful information that you can take away and integrate into your own booze break. I really like John's advice on swapping your drinking as a coping strategy for something else and that it's not enough to just take drinking out of the equation and white-knuckle the process. John took up volunteering, uh, and through this, his whole life and career changed for the better, to the point that he began the process of understanding mental health, which led to him becoming a psychotherapist. At the time of recording John's interview, he was still in the process of finalising his happiness programme, which is now completed. It's called University, Y-O-U, University. Um, And I'll leave a link to that in the show notes, as well as links to other places that you can engage with his content, such as the Happiness Hacks podcast. If you don't know what show notes are, uh, they're essentially the text information that accompanies the podcast. I'll be honest, most people don't even look at it. And most podcast players don't actually allow links. So you can head over to boozebreakpodcast.com. Uh, you can click on episodes and find this episode, which is number eight. All of the information will be on there in terms of like links and, and things like that. For now, though, thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and be notified when new episodes are available. Leave me a review if you can, and I'll see you in the next one.
2: Peace!